Welcome to the podcast for Windsor Road Baptist Church. Prepare your heart to receive God's message. Well, folks, it's lovely to be with you today, and uh, welcome to those who are, are watching online as well. Good to have you with us as well. Um, just a, a couple of things just to say quickly about the college uh, as we kick off. Um, I am so grateful for the support that this church has shown to the college over uh, a long period of time, actually, in a whole lot of ways. And of course, you have Ian Hussey regularly uh, worships here and, and preaches here as well, and so you know a fair bit from that point of view. Um, it's been an interesting start to this semester. We've uh, introduced a new unit of study this semester, which I uh, spent most of my Christmas holidays working on, and it's called Living Faiths. And the reason that we developed it was that we had a growing number of students who were saying we'd like to know more about other religious expressions that are, are clearly becoming such a, an integral part of our, our world here, right where we live. And uh, so throughout the course, uh, what we do is that we're looking at a number of faiths that are, are well represented within the Australian community. In fact, if you look at the, the latest ABS data off the back of last year, uh, we see a number of these are growing quite significantly. Um, and so we look at things like um, Judaism, we look at Islam, uh, Hinduism, Sikhism, Buddhism, we look at primal religions, we're looking at also Australian Indigenous religion. And what we're looking at trying to do is help students understand something of the, uh, the beginnings of these faith expressions, their fundamental beliefs and tenets, and then uh, we look at what is a, a gospel approach to engaging with people from these kinds of faiths. And, uh, and already it's been uh, quite exciting to see the enthusiasm among students. In fact, it's the largest unit of study we're teaching this semester. I think I've got over 30 students enrolled. And, uh, and there's just such a, a level of enthusiasm. In fact, one of the students uh, came to me the other day after class and said, will you pray for me on Saturday night? I really feel that God wants me to go into the heart of the city and look for people that I can begin to engage in conversation. And I said, too right, man, I'll be praying for you. So, uh, so that's an exciting part of what's going on. All right, now for the commercial. Uh, let's get into our passage for today, which comes to us from uh, Luke chapter 10. Uh, you probably don't need me to tell you that we're living in a dangerous world, hey? Uh, I mean, the last couple of years, the COVID pandemic, uh, it, it continues to roll on and roll on in its ever-changing uh, variants that are coming through and new waves and and uh, concerns about hospitalizations and not having enough space and all of the rest of that. Of course, the Ukraine war has come in this year and it has brought an enormous amount of, of concern for people the world over, not to mention, of course, people living right in the midst of it in Ukraine, a, a devastating war that is going on. And, and sadly, in many ways, it's dropped off the headline of the news. Um, it was all the headline for about the first month or so, and now we kind of just quietly forget that there are still people who are dying every single day as a result of this horrendous war that's going on. And then, of course, added to all of that is the international tensions that we see being played out uh, right at the moment between uh, China and the U.S., and, uh, and of course, the uh, tensions there with the Soviets, uh, and then the, the level of social unrest that's going on all around the world. And in the midst of it all, the, the endless economic uncertainties that have arisen uh, out of all of these things coming together at this point in time. And whichever way you want to slice it and dice it, 
there is a growing sense of anxiety amongst people all the way around our country, and we see it even in the lives of many of our students. We are living in a dangerous world. But I want to suggest to you this morning that there is another world in which we are also confronted by a very real and present danger, and that's the world of the church. And what I mean by that is simply that within the church, I think that we are perpetually in danger of losing our first love for Jesus. A little like the church in Ephesus in the book of Revelation, against whom the indictment was made that you have lost your first love. And it seems to me that we can so easily have become so good at the rhetoric of love for Jesus. We sing about it. We pray about it. We talk about it. We preach about it. And and we know all of the language that is associated with with love for God. And sometimes I I go to, to other churches and we sing and there's a great exuberance in our expressions of love for God. And in a sense, I'm, I'm loving the moment. I'm caught up in the moment of it all. And yet my concern is that we can just as easily then walk out of the door and the exuberance just dissipates. And we settle back into a more self-satisfied sense of our walk with God. And so my question as we come this morning to Luke chapter 10 is simply this, what do our attitudes and our actions in the everyday stuff of life, what do our actions and our attitudes have to say about our profession of love for Jesus? Because we can talk it up big, but the reality is if the day-to-day stuff of life doesn't cut. I remember some while ago reading an interesting story about Dr. Gordon Moyes. Some of you might remember him. He was the former head of the Wesleyan Mission in Sydney. And in this particular book, he writes and recounts a story. On one occasion, he was driving off to Swansea. And he was going to speak at a, at a men's breakfast uh, at the Apollo Inn. So it was really quite a, a, a fairly fancy kind of do. And uh, I think from recollection, it was like a businessman's breakfast. And so Gordon is driving off early one Saturday morning to get to Swansea in time to speak. And as he's driving in his car, he happened to glance out of the, the mirror at one stage, uh, not the mirror, out the window at one stage, and he saw a green gar bag. And when he looked at it, it appeared as if there were a a, a pair of human buttocks sticking out of the gar bag. And he kind of shook his head as if to say, my goodness me, you know, know, what's the world coming to? And, And he just drove on. Well, he didn't get too far down the road when the Spirit of God absolutely convicted him. You're going. You're going to speak to all of these people about what it means to live a life of love for Jesus. What about that dude? And so he turned his car around and he went back and he found the green gar bag and he began to gently go over and try to see if he could actually help this hapless individual who was in the green gar bag. Well, to his absolute astonishment, the man launched out of the green gar bag and began to swear and curse at him and chuck punches at him and all the rest of them because this man had dared to try and wake him up. And so he quietly backed off and thought, oh, okay, um, best I just leave this one alone. So he gets back in his car and he starts on heading off to Swansea again. But he hardly gets any further down the road when the Spirit of God says, no, you can't do that. 
And so he turns around and he goes back again. And so he goes over, this time a whole lot more cautiously, to the green gar bag, and he begins to try and see if he could coerce this individual out of the green gar bag. Well, once again, the man launches out of the gar bag and begins to curse and swear, swing punches at him. This is the second time this morning that someone's tried to disturb his sleep. And so Gordon Moyes is sort of now on the horns of a dilemma. What am I going to do with this guy? And so he tries to take his time to talk more gently and quietly to this guy. The upshot of it was that he finally persuaded the guy, look, can I, can, I, can I take you somewhere where you can get a really good feed? And eventually this man was persuaded to hop into Gordon's car and Gordon drove him all the way to the Apollo Inn. When he got there, of course, this guy, um, he, he didn't quite fit the mould for the breakfast, all right? But he got him in and, and they kind of helped him, you know, clean up just as much as was reasonably okay and, and gave him some breakfast. Well, this guy had a, a feast the likes of which he's never seen in his life before. And then after the meal, he suddenly finds there's a whole lot of people who actually just want to come and talk to him. And he's absolutely blown away. Long story short, following on from the breakfast... Somebody offered to help him find some accommodation. Somebody else then decided that he was going to continue to visit and see if he could actually help this guy to get a job. Somebody shared the gospel. And this man came to faith in Jesus. But back the story up just for a moment. Imagine that there were surveillance cameras. Now, hey, this is our world, isn't it? Surveillance cameras everywhere. Uh, we've got cameras in the church, there'll be cameras outside, all right. Uh, there's surveillance cameras. And it's caught on camera. Gordon Moyes, a well-recognised figure in Sydney uh, Christian circles at the very least, and he's driving down the road and people recognise his face and they see him slow down at a set of traffic lights and look across and see this hapless individual in this green gar bag. They see that Gordon has seen him, but Gordon just quietly drives on the moment the lights change. And there's a bunch of people who are watching this on the six o'clock news and thinking, man, that's a pretty poor show. Maybe it was one of the Christian's businessmen who were actually at the breakfast and thought, and this guy came and talked to us about you know, what it means to, to be a follower of Jesus? Well, imagine that the, the video camera continues to roll. And the video camera captures yet another person, not driving, but um, staggering down the street. This guy looks, to all intents and purposes, probably to be homeless. He's carrying a brown paper bag in which it appears that there is a bottle of something which is designed to wash your, your, uh, your worries away. And he's staggering down the road and he comes to this green gar bag and he sees exactly what Gordon saw, but this time this guy actually lays aside his brown paper bag and he gently begins to talk to the individual inside the gar bag and finally persuades him to come on out. He takes off his coat and he wraps it around this hapless individual and together he helps him kind of stagger his way down the road around about four or 500 metres to a salvo homeless shelter. And the six o'clock news carries this headline. Church leaders don't care. Homeless man, more Christ-like than church leaders. Back it up again. And perhaps the person in the car this time is not Gordon Moyes, but it's the principal of Manuel Theological College, or Pastor Mark. Blow me down, it's there on the TV. Six o'clock news. 
church leader doesn't care. Ouch. I'm not suggesting Mark would do that. But you know, it strikes me that as we come to this very familiar parable that Jesus tells in Luke chapter 10, that the story is not entirely dissimilar. Can I read to you just the start of the parable? I'm not going to read you the whole thing, but you're well familiar with it. It says, on one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law? And Jesus replied, how do you read it? He answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and love your neighbour as yourself. You've answered correctly, Jesus replied, do this and you will live. But he wanted to justify himself, so he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbour? Now we're all familiar with the story, hey? The guy who comes is a, an expert in the law. I want to suggest to you this morning that he's a, a self-righteous inquirer. He's the sort of guy who's pretty sure that if, if it came to it and God was to weigh his life on, in the balances, you know, his good deeds against his bad deeds, that he's, he's, he's pretty much a sure thing. He is going to get a warm welcome into heaven, probably well ahead of a lot of those hypocritical Christians who like to go to church every Sunday, sing the songs and all the rest of that, and then kind of just do the rest of whatever they do throughout the, the week. But this guy, he still, wants to be, he still wants to be sure. He wants to be sure just to make sure that if there is anything else that he needs to do just to seal the deal, he just wants to know what that might look like. And so Jesus' response to him is simply this, well, what, what do you read in the law? And the man comes back with a, almost like a textbook response. From Deuteronomy chapter 6 in the Shemir, where it says, you are to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And he says, yep, got that one. Oh, and the second one, which comes from Leviticus uh, chapter 19, and you are to love your neighbour as yourself. In fact, you might even remember on one occasion when Jesus was asked about which is the greatest of the commandments, Jesus quotes those same two commandments, doesn't he? So this guy, he's got it all now. He's probably been to theological college of one kind or another. And he's got the answer down pat. And so Jesus simply says, well, you do that, do this, and you will live. But then we read that this, this kind of self-righteous inquirer wants to justify himself. And so he simply asks the question, well, hang on, who, who is my neighbour? And on some senses, we might think, well, this is a rather strange question. Who is my neighbour? Is it, is it my family? Is it my friends? Is it people just like me? I mean, who is my neighbour? And of course, Jesus knew within Jewish society of that day, that was a rather vexed question because there were all sorts of interesting interpretations on that. For many Jews generally, they would pick up from Leviticus 19 and verse 18 where they are told to love their neighbours as themselves and say, well, my neighbour is my fellow Jew. Whoever is a Jew is my neighbour. But Jesus also knew that for the Pharisees of his day that they had a much more tightly defined definition of neighbour. My neighbour was my fellow Pharisee. And the rest of them, you know, they, they can just sort of, they can just move aside, you know. It, it doesn't include them. 
And then, of course, if you took the, the Qumran community, that ascetic community who lived uh, down beside the Dead Sea, uh, it, it was really for them just the members of their own very tight-knit community. So Jesus was well familiar with the fact that uh, this question of who is my neighbour, um, yeah, it, it has a, 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 one, a, a series of different nuances depending on which way you want to come the thing. And then, of course, we're familiar that Jesus tells this interesting story. There's a man who's travelling from Jerusalem down to Jericho. And on the road, he is accosted by robbers. They strip him of his clothes, beat him up and leave him half dead. And, of course, that piece of road was notoriously uh, hazardous. Uh, if you could imagine in your mind's eye, you've got Jerusalem, uh, 900 metres above sea level. You've got Jericho, about 300 metres below sea level. So it's around about a 1,200 metre descent over around about 27 kilometres. It's a tight, windy road. And in fact, back in 1999, we were uh, on that road in a bus and it followed pretty much the same trajectory as the road that it would have been there in Jesus' day, and it was dead set terrifying. In fact, it did an awful lot for my prayer life. Uh, it was a steep, steep, windy road, and uh, there were times I'm looking at this thing thinking, man, uh, Lord, please, 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 driver, driver. You know, we just wanted to get to the bottom. But of course, these days, now they've got this wonderful looking sort of highway that goes on up, which is nothing like the old windy road. But in those days, it was a notorious road in which bandits didn't uh, irregularly seek to uh, set upon hapless individuals, particularly if they're travelling by themselves. And this was just the case that Jesus describes. And indeed, as Jesus begins to tell the story, there are probably plenty enough who thought, yeah, I remember reading a story about that in the Jerusalem Herald just a few weeks ago, you know, that kind of thing, all right? And then Jesus goes on and he tells the story. He says, oh, and there happened to be coming down the road at that time or shortly thereafter, a priest. And the priest, as he comes by, looks over and he sees the man and he simply walks by on the other side of the road and continues on his journey. And there might have been all sorts of reasons why the priest would have done that. Uh, for example, the priest probably would have known his uh, Torah pretty well and he would have known that in Leviticus chapter 20 that a priest was not to touch the, uh, the corpse of a dead person because if you do you become ritually unclean and the priest could have been coming down from Jerusalem having served uh, his um, service in the temple and coming down and blaming down if he goes over and touches that guy and he's dead he's going to have to go all the way back up to Jerusalem to go through the ritual cleansing process so that he becomes clean again <laughs> come on you know, I haven't got the time so he goes by on the other side and the next thing you've got a Levite who comes down the road and these are the guys who actually help serve in the temple and the Levite in all probability um, just takes his cue from the priest and has a bit of a look okay you know give that a wide berth and let's keep going and so you're well familiar with the story and then Jesus introduces the subject of a Samaritan and I dare say the moment he mentions a Samaritan you could possibly have heard a, a, an audible buzz going through the crowd yeah we know what Samaritans are like this guy is probably going to get into him and fleece him of anything that he's got left of any value you know because the story, the, when the story should have gone like this, that some virtuous Jew comes along, sees this poor hapless individual, and he's the man who saves the day. And then Jesus kind of messes the whole storyline, and he comes up with this Samaritan individual who's going to be the guy who saves the day. Now, look, just, just remember in the back of your minds, will you, in the previous chapter, 
Jesus had come down through Samaritan territory, through some of the Samaritan villages, and you might remember that the disciples at that time were so incensed with the Samaritans, they said to Jesus, do you want us to call down fire from heaven and do them all, you know? Um, I mean, that, that was the kind of relationship that the Jews had with the Samaritans. And the disciples typified it perfectly. And yet now as Jesus tells this story, it's this Samaritan? I mean, seriously, come on, Jesus. Don't tell stories like that. It's the Samaritan who comes. It's the Samaritan who helps out. It's the Samaritan who goes the extra mile. And you can imagine the crowd as Jesus begins to finish off this story going deathly quiet. This is not a good story. This is not a good picture. And at the end of the story, Jesus says to this self-righteous inquirer, which of these was a neighbour to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? Remember the question that was asked? Who is my neighbour? Jesus changes the question. And he says, who of these was a neighbour to the man who fell among the robbers? And by this stage, the self-righteous inquirer is feeling decidedly uncomfortable. And his response is simply the one who had mercy on him. I wonder whether he said it through gritted teeth. You'll notice that he doesn't even mention the word Samaritan. He can't even get that through his lips. The one who showed mercy on him. But you see, this self-righteous inquirer had been looking for a much more tight and convenient definition of my neighbour. One, he wanted a definition of a neighbour, of one that would actually make him feel as if, you know what, I've already got this thing done. I've already nailed this thing. It's all good. I already have been good to my neighbour. And fundamentally, this self-righteous inquirer had a complete wrong conception of God's Salvation. You see, he saw God's salvation, eternal life, as a right. Something that he could do enough that God would be obliged to give him the keys of heaven and let him in the door. He didn't understand that God's salvation is actually a gift. So what does Jesus say to him? Jesus simply says, well, you go and do likewise. Yes, to that Samaritan. You go and do the same. But of course, you see, this self-righteous inquirer had kind of put his hopes in the fact that if he could just do enough, that God would be obliged to accept him. Hey, self-righteous inquirer, do you think you've got this thing all, all nailed, do you? Well, you just, you just try and go and do exactly that in your own strength. Let's see how that works out for you. See, what he didn't understand was that even in the giving of the law, God's law was never to become the means of one's salvation. In fact, in Romans in chapter 3 and verse 20, we simply read this about the law. Therefore, no one will be declared righteous in God's sight by observing the law. Rather, through the law, we became conscious of sin. 
And what this man needs to realize is that the law was never meant to become your means of salvation. It was meant to show you your desperate need of salvation. It was meant to show you that in and of yourself, you never are going to be able to live up to the perfect standard that God requires. You actually need a saviour. You need someone who can actually cleanse you and forgive you for your sin and someone who can actually give you eternal life as a gift, not as a reward for your hard work and effort. We're reminded of that, aren't we, in Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. For it is by grace you've been saved, through faith, and this is not from yourself. It is the, it's the gift of God. Our salvation is God's gracious gift to you. And I would probably be remiss today if I didn't ask if maybe some of you here today, either in person or watching online, if you are in one sense still an inquirer. You're kind of checking out this Christian thing. You certainly wouldn't see yourself as a self-righteous inquirer, but, but you're trying to check it out. To say, is there something here that I, I need to try and get my head around? You're not self-righteous, but you, you'd have to say, well, on, on balance, I think I'm, I'm doing a pretty good fist of life. I'm, I'm, I'm trying to live a good life. But you see, the Word of God wants to remind us that no matter how hard you try, no matter how good you are, you're actually never going to be good enough to get into heaven, to enter into eternal life. What you need is God to graciously give you a gift, the gift of eternal life. Remember Jesus' uh, engagement with another inquirer. In John chapter 3, Nicodemus is his name. He comes to Jesus by night and he asks uh, very similar kinds of questions. And Jesus says, listen, this is the way it rolls out. God, God has loved this world. That includes you, man. He has loved you so much that he gave his one and only son. Hey, that's me. So that whoever believes in me, that is in Jesus, will not perish but will have this incredible gift of eternal life. But I dare say probably the most of you here today would say, well, I'm not an inquirer, I'm already a follower of Jesus. And I'm delighted by that. But at the same time, could it be that as a follower of Jesus, we find that we have become to one degree or another, a fairly self-satisfied follower of Jesus. We kind of think that we've got this whole Christian thing pretty well nailed. Yeah, we kind of stuff it up at times, but generally speaking, we're doing pretty well. Maybe Jesus' story has something to say to us today. Maybe like the Jews of Jesus' day, we have too easily contented ourselves that our neighbours are... Well, they're people just like us. Our neighbours are people who kind of dress like us, who move in the same circles as us. You know, we watch things on the TV like, you know, the Black Lives Matters protests and we think, well, certainly that's not me. I'm no racist. But the truth is, we just as easily and conveniently avoid mixing with people who leave us feeling uncomfortable whether they be people from a different religious background or whether they be people who have embraced a different view on gender and sexuality. And we kind of think, yeah, we'll kind of just give them 
a bit of a wide berth. Are there some people in our society that we conveniently avoid? Because I believe that what Jesus wants us to understand is that our attitudes and our actions towards others, particularly those that we might more naturally and easily just conveniently avoid, speaks volumes about the reality of our professed love for God. Remember in Genesis chapter 4, Cain, after killing his brother Abel, asks that uh, poignant question when God questions him. He says, am I my brother's keeper? Genesis 4. Luke 10, I think Jesus shouts the answer. Yes, you are. You are your brother's keeper. You see, the fact is we are living in a dangerous world. On so many levels, all around about us, there is suffering, isn't there? COVID-19 continues to reap havoc around the globe, both physically and emotionally for so many. There is violence and tension in so many parts of our world and even in our own society. There's political and social unrest. There is fear and uncertainty that is crippling the lives of millions upon millions of people. But there's also a danger right here amongst the people of God. And that danger is that like the Ephesians in Revelation 2, we could actually be found guilty of having lost our first love. We still sing the songs of love. We are so good at the rhetoric of love. And yet, subtly along the way, we become increasingly self-satisfied followers of Jesus. And so too easily, we watch all the stuff that's going on in our world and even perhaps in our neighbourhoods and we kind of quietly shake our head and sort of, oh, boy, the world's a mess, isn't it? But then we just conveniently walk around it and pass by on the other side. But as followers of Jesus Christ, who truly love God, the question is, how might God be calling us to live then as our brother's keeper? What practical steps is God actually calling on us to take to genuinely live as our brother's keeper? Now, look, seriously, as a church, I, from everything I hear, you, you do an amazing job in this kind of space collectively. But it's not just about what we do collectively, it's what we do individually, isn't it? And I go and I speak in churches sometimes and I see so many people who are so, so busy doing church that it's so much easier to simply walk by all the other people and the other stuff on the other side because, sorry, I haven't got time. I'm too busy doing church. And I think this passage speaks to the church today with renewed force. I was thrilled before when Sue got up and spoke about the frontline assignment. That's great. What a fabulous initiative. But of course, the $100, in one sense, is of little value. If it's just given to someone, you give it and run. Because if you give it, you're giving it to a person. A person who's got their own life story, their own pain, their own journey. And what they need is someone who's so invigorated by the love of Christ 
looks upon them with the eyes of Jesus and cares deeply and profoundly and is prepared not only to give money but to give time and love and attention. You know what? This is a rotten sermon to preach because when I preach it to you, you've got to preach it to me. And it really, it really cuts it deep sometimes. But seriously, our profession of love for Jesus has got to find hands and feet in the way in which we live in the day-to-day stuff of life. And it's got to have a softness of heart that responds to the convicting work of the Spirit of God that will not let me go and simply walk by on the other side because I haven't got time. I'm too busy doing church stuff. I'm too busy doing life. Well, I don't know whether God's got something there for you today. Man, he had something for me anyway, so... um, Listen, we need to hear, to heed and respond to the word of God as his word speaks to us. Will you join me as we pray? Heavenly Lord, familiar, familiar story. For many of us, we've heard it hundreds of times over, perhaps read it hundreds of times over. And we've looked at that self-righteous inquiry and we thought, man, I'm glad I'm not like that. And yet, Lord, we confess to you that Perhaps a little too easily we become self-satisfied that we've kind of nailed this following Jesus thing pretty well. Lord, if you've spoken to our hearts today, give us the grace to humbly confess to you our need of you to help us to live more faithfully, more honestly, as true reflectors of the life, love and character of Jesus especially to those who are our neighbours that we would too easily want to ignore. By your grace, will you do this? So that the world will see that Jesus is alive, that Jesus walks the streets of this town, that Jesus cares profoundly for people in the midst of their loss, their brokenness and their pain. And we pray, Lord, for your glory and the blessing of those around about us. Would you be pleased to use us as your instruments of love and grace in this world? And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening. We hope that you have been blessed by the message. Windsor Road Baptist Church is a growing intergenerational and international community of people committed to whole life discipleship. Please visit us at windsorroad.org.au to connect with us and to learn more about our church.